trends and information around the Washington National Guard, as well as in-depth conversations with the people who make it happen. I'm Sarah Morris, and in this episode, uh, we'll be doing things a little bit different than normal. Uh, We have two interviews that Jason and I recorded uh, when we were out in the field during different exercises. In the first interview, Jason talks to retired Marine Colonel John Riley about Bersama Warrior and the Washington Guard's impact there. And then I talked to Colonel Michael Weitzel about the Homeland Response Force uh, during Idaho Response. These exercises are just a glimpse into the different training opportunities that are available to our Guardsmen, and I'll link some articles associated with both events in the show notes if you're interested. Also, please feel free to reach out to me with any comments or ideas for future episodes. Okay, great. Let's get this party started. Washington is earthquake country. Are you prepared? Earthquakes can create a series of big waves called tsunamis. Do you know your evacuation routes or how long it takes to reach high ground safely? Learn how to protect yourself from a tsunami. Check with your local emergency manager or visit mil.wa.gov tsunami. Before disaster strikes, get two weeks ready. Make a plan. Build a kit. Become involved. Be a preparedness champion. Okay, uh, well, I'm a retired Marine Colonel. I've been retired since uh, 2013. Uh, and the reason I'm providing this background, I think it has relevancy to my sure. observations and comments. Uh, so I've been doing this job for the last four years. I've been involved in exercises for like 14 years in a variety of billets and positions from being a training audience to being the position I am right now, uh, which is in the exercise control group. For this specific exercise, uh, I am what we refer to as the higher headquarters, uh, combined uh, C3 operations officer, which is a senior command to Task Force Seal Island, mm-hmm. uh, which the Washington Guard was the primary U.S. training audience in. Okay. Can you... So... Um, you have to define... you yeah, got to yeah, go yeah. ahead and say, how the heck am I going to do all that stuff? Yeah. Okay, go. Cool. So did you help develop the, the scenario? No. I did. Okay. I did. So we have a scenario manager. But we, he and I have known each other for 10 years. Uh, and in my capacity and the role I play in, of course, both of our backgrounds, um, uh, he gives the initial stuff, then he and I over time talk about it. Yes. Okay. What is the scenario? Can you kind of just give me an overview of what they showed up here and what happened on the first day? Certainly, so it's a uh, United Nations Security Council resolution authorized uh, peace enforcement operation. Um, Task Force Seal Island is a subordinate task force under a larger combined task force uh, responsible for two things. One, restoring a border between two nations uh, who are currently in conflict. And then secondly, Uh, dealing with the separation of parties because a minority population was being persecuted. Mm. The first issue is a normal nation-to-state, nation-to-state conflict of which the overall CTF was called to resolve. Subsequently, this other issue is a a protection of civilians under the UN Charter that talks about a nation's responsibility to look out for the welfare of its own citizens. The international community felt that that was not happening and so they authorized this CTF that was dealing with the larger issue to subsequently have a task force to deal with the smaller issue. Okay. That's what Task Force Seal Island is doing. They got to separate the parties. They have to neutralize those 
um, Arcadian military forces, our adversaries' forces, uh, back into their um, bases and stations and create an environment for the introduction of a follow-on peacekeeping operation. So they got one group is going to be Malaysians. Uh, they're acting as one part of T Seal Island Task Force? Yes, yeah, so Task Force Seal Island was made up of two nations. One was Malaysia and one was the U.S. Okay. So Malaysia uh, uh, Joint Staff provided the training audience personnel. Washington Guard provided the U.S. Okay. Uh, training audience. Okay. And they combined to make a single staff. And then we, as an exercise control group, provided them the subordinate component and operational maneuver elements. Okay. Um, what is it about, uh, about these kind of exercises that gets, that forces these two, two countries together? Like this is for, this is outside the, the well, this is the, the training Mm -hmm. Scenario. What is it about these kind of exercises that that forces them to to operate together to make decisions jointly? Like, can you speak plainly on how like like what is it that that, that these exercises do to to force that kind of interaction? Uh, okay. Well, first of all, by saying you have a single command element and that both staffs come together in and of itself forces us to collaborate, communicate. And coordinate with each other like any staff. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it from a U.S. perspective only, when a U.S. convenes or has a joint task force headquarters, what do we do? We bring in Marines, mm -hmm. we bring in uh, soldiers, we bring in sailors, we bring in the Air Force, any other interagency things. That's normally how we operate from a headquarters. Okay, take that construct and now throw in other nations within that same construct. Mm -hmm. So I've got the Malaysians who will have an ops guy will sit with our ops guys, whoever they may be. And so they are a combined headquarters uh, convening to not only plan to solve a common problem, but then executing their solution in solving that problem. And that's what these exercises do. So this exercise, a single scenario spread over two years. The first year we did this was last year. We gave them a complex problem significant complex problem. You had conventional forces, we had unconventional forces, transient terrorist organizations, you had cultural and social issues that you had to deal with, you had an existing um, uh, United Nations interagency standing committee that had the World Food Program and they had some, uh, we have uh, refugee issues, we have internal dis displaced persons, complex environment. So we placed this problem in front of them last year, and they went through a planning process to come up with how they were going to solve that problem. Okay. Okay, I defined the environment, then I, I identified a couple solutions, I war-gamed or analyzed those solutions, and I selected one. We took that, we identified a small window to execute that, because we only have six days, so most campaigns are you know, three weeks, four weeks, ten weeks. I can't exercise that whole plan. Right. So we select a portion of that plan. That's what we did this year. Okay. So when they came in, we said, okay, we are going to do this portion of your operation. So this year, we are coordinating and doing all those staff actions to ensure that they have executed the plan that was developed last year. Okay. It all makes sense now. <laughs> Thank you. Yes.
Um, what significance uh, uh, does Washington have? Can you speak to the, the state partnership program part of it or why we were selected? Or? Just a little bit. So, uh, uh, do you, is there anybody else who? who, who uh, uh, Tom Wallace uh, okay. is, is the man you want to talk to. But um, from a broader perspective, um, so U.S. Indo-PACOM has a number of what we call theater security cooperation engagements or exercises. Uh, some of them were bilateral, some of them were multilateral. Uh, like Cobra Gold in Thailand is a multilateral exercise and involves seven nations that are training audiences. We bring them together, same construct, same concept, into a single headquarters, not only solve a problem, but the following year execute mm. that problem. Uh, we have relationships in the Philippines, relationships in Indonesia, we have relationships in Japan, so we do this all over the place. So, um, U.S. Indo-PACOM cannot, as a staff, have, do these engagements. So they assign exercises to its service components. So within U.S. Indo-PACOM, you have Marine Forces Pacific, you have U.S. Army Forces Pacific, you have uh, Pacific Fleet, and you have uh, Pacific Air Forces. For Bersama Warrior, and I'm getting to answer your question, so I'm no, working my way down. So Bersama Warrior, USERPAC um, uh, was given the responsibility to source the U.S. training audience. Okay. Because okay, they were told, you will be the organization conducting the exercise. So you have to select that primary U.S. training audience. So when USERPAC looks out and says, okay, what are my available forces, both active Reserve and National Guard, what should be the most likely organization to select? And I believe, without speaking for Tom Wallace or USERPAC, they looked at the Washington National Guard because of the state partnership program relationship mm -hmm. that you all have both here in Malaysia as well as in Thailand. Last year, I know that Washington provided the primary training audience for the Cobra Gold last year. Mm -hmm. And they also have contributed to sourcing certain billets for Cobra Gold as well. So as the state of Washington expands and enhances relationship with both Malaysia and Thailand, these exercises, I, I believe, does two things. Facilitate that relationship and enhances and strengthens that state partnership program that you have, while also uh, fulfilling U.S. Indo-PACOM's theater security cooperation engagement plan. Nice. <laughs> You've done this a lot, haven't you? <laughs> I've been involved in a lot, yes. Um, I don't think I have anything else for okay. you, but do you have anything else you'd like to add or anything that yeah, I, you that know, I, didn't come I will say that, uh, uh, and this is a you know not paid for public announcement, that um, I've done a number of these things. And, and so you have certain types of U.S. and partner nation training audiences. You know, some are actively engaged from day one, uh, and some take a little bit of time to get their feet underneath them and, and go. Um, I have to say uh, straight out and honestly, and I passed to General Horn as well, that I was impressed on not only the preparation for this exercise from a U.S. training audience view uh, and, and my assessment of them, but also on day one, which is normally the hardest day to get anything off, I thought that the uh, Washington National Guard, certainly in partnership with the Malaysian Armed Forces, um, really stepped off on the right foot by having their first initial stand-up commander's uh, update brief. Um, and it was very, uh, it was organized extremely well. They uh, had a great capture and understanding of all that stuff that we provided them 
from an exercise perspective mm-hmm. to get them on their feet. And I thought they presented it extremely well. Uh, and I think that was a, you know, a positive step in the right direction uh, to start this uh, exercise off successfully. And I have not seen, personally, personally, I can't speak for anybody else, uh, a drop in the enthusiasm and the, re- and the desire to ensure that they get something out of this engagement. Uh, and, and as I pass, and I'll say this, you can use it or not, you know, the, what we try to teach here, what we try to teach, and I know it's very alien to a lot of training audiences, but I think it, it works throughout, is you try to teach resource allocation, you try to teach prioritization of limited assets that you have, you try to teach uh, creating a, a collective understanding of the environment in which you are working in, and you go ahead and you try to convey to them how do you use those assets effectively uh, from a broader perspective in order to influence what you're trying to achieve uh, and shape the environment for future positive actions. That's really what we try to do down here. Mm-hmm. And we try to do this by showing them how to operate uh, seamlessly and uh, horizontally as a staff and not vertically in stovepipes like one, two, three, four, five, six. That we use battle rhythms and boards, bureau centered cells, and working groups yeah. in order to facilitate that horizontal communication. And then we place problem sets on top of everybody in order to exercise that battle rhythm and address the four things I just told you about before. Nice. All right? Yeah. Is that it? Do you, do you uh, answer, like, so they're down there talking about setting up for, like, the next couple of days or the next, not setting up, but their maneuvers and movements of, of, of forces. Um, so if they, they move a force from here to there, and do you guys see, you guys see that, right? Yes, this is and a then, simulated, supported okay. command post exercise. So what we do, you know, we stimulate um, the training audience two ways in a command post exercise. My role is as a role player. So what I do is I replicate higher headquarters and the operational right. cell from higher headquarters. Okay. And there are some questions that come up to me that I, I, I answer. And some things I automatically push down to generate a real-world higher headquarters to subordinate headquarters, tasks, activities, information, all that other stuff. Okay. Training audience also has what we call our response cells. Those are our subordinate units. They task those subordinate units to do things. The action of those subordinate response cells are replicated on what we call the Joint Theater Level Simulation Program, JTLS. That's the computer simulated support okay. program. That's when we see all the icons moving. We have two. We have one that the training audience has, and we have the real world one. Our one shows everybody. Mm-hmm. Theirs shows only those, those enemy forces that they have actually collected on. So they mm-hmm. got to build a collection plan based off their analysis and their assessment of the environment and the assets they have in order to create a picture and to move operational movement of those forces. It's complicated. So, so yeah, so it's both ways always yeah. that we try to stimulate the training audience. Okay. And you write this, you write the the reactions of, or no, or does the program automatically react to the movement? Correct. Of it? Okay. Yes. They, so what happens is our response cells, and then we have what we call pucksters, people who act. So we've got a command and we got people, you know, who do this all the time. So tell me what to do, and they do whatever the ones and the zeros, you know, the yeah. zeros into ones, and okay. and the keyboard actions and activities, and then we have an op four who is also a thinking op four, but that op four is also a training tool. So it's not about winning; it's about 
demonstrating those things I told you about, like, resource allocation, yeah. prioritization, operational maneuver, battle space management, all those other things. So we try to facilitate that training by having an op for doing certain things and responding certain ways. Instead of just saying, okay, we're gonna, you yeah. know, I'm gonna beat you up and yeah. what lessons learned is there. So right. we'll pull back, we'll move up, we'll do this. And we look every day and we say, okay, what does it look like? Yeah. How are we doing this thing? And what is the result that we want out of the training audience? Wow. Very interactive. Excellent. Thank you. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's WA National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. All right. Uh, good morning. Morning. I'm joined with uh, Colonel Mike Wetzel. Weitzel, and I, of course, I said it wrong now. Um, and you're the 10th uh, Homeland Response Force Commander. That is correct. I command the 10th Homeland Response Force, as well as the 144 Digital Liaison Detachment, based out of Spokane. Okay. And what is a Homeland Response <laughs> Force? The Homeland Response Force is a part of the National Cree, which is the suburban response enterprise. Uh, the Homeland Response Force, there's one in each FEMA region, and it's comprised of 580 soldiers and airmen. And we have a search and extraction element, a large medical element, a decontamination element, a facility search and recovery team and a, C, a C2 and a 200-person security element that provides security for all those folks when they're out at an incident site. So what kind of emergency would necessitate uh, a Homeland Response Force? For the Homeland Response Force to get mobilized in its actual capacity, it would have to be a really bad day for somebody. <laughs> if we're talking uh, a dirty bomb, uh, nuclear explosion, a large chemical spill, or biological attack in the city. So we're basically consequence management for a really bad event. Um, HRFs throughout the nation have been mobilized to support natural disasters. The Georgia HRF responded to the hurricanes last year, as did the Texas HRF, and the California HRF elements responded to the wildfires right. down in uh, Southern California. And of course, we responded elements of our HRF to the Oso landslide about five years ago. Okay. Um, so I guess I was out yesterday uh, here. We're at an exercise in Idaho. Is, is how they're, so they were training decon, search and extraction, medical stuff. And uh, I had no idea what was going on, which was perfect because I love to learn on the spot. But uh, can you just talk about like what an exercise, like what we're doing here in Idaho, uh, does for us? So <laughs> I could answer that anyways. For so for the tenth or what one thing this does is it helps reinforce our regional deployability. 
uh, working with Idaho. Um, Idaho, they say, is a safe state, so <laughs> they had to make up a big earthquake. But it allows us to um, partner with our neighbor states. And for this exercise, we just brought about a third of the actual herf um, so that we could, we haven't set up and done all this training since June of 17. Okay. So it's been a couple of years, so right. it's a little slow. Um, but yeah, it gives everyone a chance to actually do a collective of training event, because usually they all do just individual tasks. It's very rare that we get to set up the entire footprint like right. you saw. Yeah. We're, and because we're joint with air and army, it's hard to align drills. So we have to plan these things well out in advance. Yeah. The one where they were building structures to like reinforce. Right, the search and extraction. Search and, that was Doing cool. The bracing. Yeah, they're yeah. very talented. Yeah, they're, they're very I had no idea that that even existed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'd like to add realism. I'm sure you saw some of the moulage patients. Yes. With the, Big, the, the horrific makeup. energies yeah. <laughs> or injuries, and um, it all helps add some realism. Yeah. And give them good training. The makeup was very realistic. At first, I was like, oh my God, that guy's leg. And I had to remind myself it was just training. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No one's leg yeah. was actually crushed. But Yeah. That's cool. Um, well, the her, from my understanding, is comprised of more than just Washington or it's in charge of more than just Washington? So, so we are a regional element right. for FEMA Region 10. So we are, the Washington HERF is all Washington airmen and soldiers. There are four CSTs, one in each state, right. Alaska, Idaho, Oregon. They don't work for us unless we get deployed. Okay. And, and in the HERF, there's a suburban task force, which was the search and extraction, right. what you witnessed yesterday. There's one of those in Oregon okay. as well. And again, they work for their own tag, but should there be a significant right. incident, they would fall under us. So like for a Cascadia rising or something like that, that would be an event where maybe like they were all called up? Yeah, there'd probably be several SERPs and other HERFs for, if we had a Cascadia Rising, because we ourselves probably wouldn't be able to do right, anything. because You guys would all be trapped. We'd all be trapped. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, because we just did uh, a big two-part series on Cascadia Rising and sort of like that preparedness piece. So I feel like it goes hand in hand with that. Um, uh, we, do, we are part of the, the Cascadia Rising plan right. as the Task Force Suburn. And so we are probably, if, if we can pull ourselves together, we would help direct a couple other HERFs and several SERPs. Right, because who, knows, who what, knows what needs what better than it, you guys. Exactly. <laughs> That's cool. Um, is there any unusual missions that you guys, or exercises that you guys have got to do? We've done some pretty interesting things over the past. I've been here four and a half years now, and we were able to send our decon element to the Super Bowl down in, in well, it's not San Francisco, but San Jose, I believe, wherever the new stadium is. So they get to do that. Um, we get to train with um, 
elements on JBLM and we work with their veterinarian and their decon folks and decon teach them how to decontaminate animals because oh. pets right. get slimed as well. Yeah. And that was one of the things that also our decon people were washing off the search and rescue dogs, the FEMA dogs, when right. they'd come out of the mud. And they were actually very appreciative because we used warm water. So, so were, were you part of the hearth during the OSO response? I was, actually I was not, but the hearth commander, Colonel Rollins, had to leave after a week, so I took over and Okay, so what was that, that real world ex response like? That was, that was, that was, um, it was, it's hard to explain, very, very gratifying work because you knew you were really helping families who had had tremendous loss get closure, right. but it was, uh, it was not a good job. Yeah. And I think one of the things we failed at was recognizing the needs of the soldiers and airmen who were in the mud doing this job with their, their health, their behavioral health. And that's something I take back to NGB when we have our conferences and remind them you need, if we get called out, you need lots of chaplains. Yeah. You need chaplains for the chaplains because they get burnt right. out and no one's checking them. And you need a lot of behavioral health for the Yeah, because they, got, they had, unfortunately, do some extraction of remains, right? Yeah, there were, and it, it wasn't like full body parts. There's okay. lots of horrific yeah. stuff, so. That's unfortunate, but. But it was, but on the, other than the, the Nessus is a, a very good mission, um, is great working with the FEMA search and rescue teams, the different incident management teams that rolled through. Um, so all those ICS courses they make us take uh, really paid off. <laughs> and I, I think it showed, it showed the community that the Guard is there for them. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the, one of the big reasons why people serve in the Guard is, is that community response. Right. Um, well, I, uh, I think it's a really cool mission. I didn't really understand it when I got this assignment, <laughs> which I kind of prefer. I didn't understand most of the Guard-isms for like the domestic operations when I would get some assignments to go out and cover. And I always think it's interesting to learn about all these We do a lot facets. of really unique yeah. missions. I was in Thailand two weeks ago, two weeks ago when, and we deployed people for the snow. Yes, <laughs> which we is, did. So we do fires, snow, floods. Yeah, there were some people that were stuck um, that needed medical assistance and they needed a ride. And fortunately, we have big, huge vehicles that can <laughs> <laughs> make the trip. <laughs> yeah. Um, were you at Cobra Gold? Yes. Okay. What were you doing there? I was the, I was up at the Staff X as okay. the Deputy Chief of Staff. That seemed US like forces. a pretty neat That was experience. a lot of fun, yeah. That yeah. was my second Cobra Gold. Do you guys ever do anything as a HERF with uh, Thailand or Malaysia? Not the HERF, but s Definitely some of our HERF people go yeah, there. I know the CST is pretty active right. with them, yeah. So our decon folks go over there. Yeah. And I, I believe some of the 
air guard, search and extraction people have gone over as well. Yeah, I'm sure that's stuff that they need as well. Right, right. Especially if they can learn how to build those cool structures after like being on site for <laughs> an <laughs> yeah, hour. An hour, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're very talented. Yeah. I always enjoy working with the air because they really don't tell you what they do until, but they were more than happy to just go out there just, and they do. Just start doing it. Some crazy stuff. Yeah. It's like, wow, you guys can do that. That's great. I know because you don't normally associate that kind of thing with the air guard. Right, right. Right. That <laughs> has nothing to do with flying airplanes. Exactly. And like the FCERT people, there's 11 in the FCERT and they're all volunteers. It's not an MOS. They're like cooks and supply sergeants who all wanted to process dead bodies. <laughs> it's kind of ghoulish, but something has to do. But I mean, if yeah, you talk to them, they to really enjoy the it. mission. Right. So. That's cool. Well, is yeah. there anything else you'd, you'd like to add? Anything you want people to know? Um, I just, um, if you have an opportunity to come check us out, because it, it is a really good mission. And we're always looking for people to help out. The 420th Chemical Battalion is tasked with doing just about every state mission in there. Yeah. They, we could use some bodies from outside of the 420th to help out. Yeah, I talked to Colonel B Bugby <laughs> yesterday, and yeah. he said everyone who was here volunteered to come right, they for all this volunteered extra Because we didn't want to make duty. them. Extra duty, yeah. Yes. So that's fantastic. I mean, that really shows you that those are the guys you want out there, right? Exactly. So especially because it was cold, <laughs> cold. and windy. <laughs> and miserable out there. Yeah, the alternative is we usually do it in the summer and then it's too hot. In those suits, you can yeah. only be in them for about an hour or two. Good, good weight loss plan. but Right? <laughs> yeah, I guess there's really no happy medium here. Uh, maybe, I don't know. He was talking about maybe doing it in a hangar, which I don't know if you'd be able to set up. Um, well, yes, we went to Alaska last year. Okay. We set up in an armory. That makes sense because probably no one wanted to be outside. Yeah. And last year when they were in Alaska, they did a real world response because as they were going to right. their their training site, there was this built tanker. Wow. So well, that was fortunate for them to be <laughs> exactly be there. And how great to do some on the job training. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess that's it for me. Uh, anything else? Um, it's just been a pleasure serving in this organization for the last four and a half years, and yeah. when I retire this summer, I'll miss it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably not this weather, but everything else. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.